Amen. So that's a, man, camp is always great. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for what God did uh, this year at camp. And, and as Josh said, you'll be hearing more about it. I'm even, I'm sure, just from the people that attended and, um, and, and certainly more at Summer's End celebration. You know, God did things that only he can do, and eternity will prove that out, and that's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, so, so all the counselors and everybody that gave of your time, thank you. Everybody that prayed, thank you. Um, we'll, we'll continue uh, to just to see what God did uh, over time. But this morning, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study in the book of Acts, and we've made it to chapter 5. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn there with me. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And in these verses, we are going to see God's hatred of hypocrisy. That's the title of today's message. Today, we see, for for the first time really, we we see a shift in the book of Acts. Because up to this point, everything had been pretty great within the body of believers there in Jerusalem. They They had begun to face some persecution from the religious leaders of Israel at that time, but it, it hadn't impacted them in any negative way, at least spiritually speaking, that, that's recorded in Scripture. They weren't fighting internally. They had remained unified, and more importantly, they were resolute in the mission that God had given them to be witnesses of Jesus. And, and that had been their singular focus. They were kingdom-minded and not worldly or carnally-minded. But in today's text, we see the first kind of blip on the, on the radar screen, so to speak, as we're going to see the first sin in the church that was recorded in, in the Bible. And the, the sin was a serious one. It was a sin of hypocrisy. And hypo- hypocrisy is a word that gets thrown around a lot in today's world. You know, no, nobody really wants to be accused of being a hypocrite, and yet Christians are accused of that very thing all the time. And the truth is, sometimes those accusations are fair and accurate, and other times they are not. And part of the problem is that that many people do not understand, or or maybe even sometimes intentionally misdefine, the word hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy gets defined as messing up by someone who should know better. And that's that's not a good definition of the word hypocrisy. And that's why Christians get accused of being hypocrites so regularly. The, de- the detractors say, oh, oh, you claim to love Jesus, but, but, but just look at you now. Look at what you did, you hypocrite. And that's an easy attack on, on Christians and Christianity and the cause of Christ, but it's misguided. The truth is everyone messes up from time to time. But messing up does not make you a hypocrite. Even saying one thing, and doing another, something that would be considered hypocritical in the moment, that doesn't mean you are a hypocrite. Now, maybe you are, but it's not automatic. Listen, many of the things that I preach on, because the text requires it, because we go verse by verse through the Bible, I don't have down perfectly in my life. I'm sure that's going to come as a shock to many of you. I'm still a work in progress. And I guess you can judge whether you think I'm a hypocrite or not, but, but I think as we'll see today, the Bible's pretty clear on how it's defined. And struggling doesn't equal hypocrisy. We all mess up. We all have times of lapse. We have times of weakness. And, and that's not an excuse for sin. We shouldn't lapse. We shouldn't walk in our flesh over our spirit. But sometimes we do. 
That's just the reality. That is real life. So struggling doesn't equal hypocrisy. But let me tell you what does. Deception equals hypocrisy. You see, and I put this on your outline sheet. Hypocrisy gets to your intent. Hypocrisy gets to your intent because it's one thing to mess up when, you know, overall you desire, you're trying to do right. But it's another thing to never intend to do right, but pretend like you are. That's being a hypocrite. We all mess up, but we all don't try to deceive others regarding who we are. And when you study scripture, you see this distinction and you see this definition very clearly. The first mention of the word hypocrisy is found in Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 6. And it's obvious that it's not related to just tripping up. That verse says, for the vile person will speak villainy and his heart will work iniquity to practice hypocrisy. And to utter error against the Lord to make empty the soul of the hungry and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. You see, what we learn from that verse is that hypocrisy is an intentional work. It's something that is practiced and it comes from a heart of iniquity. Matthew chapter 23 probably gives us the the best overall definition of hypocrisy. That's a chapter where Jesus takes extended time to condemn the scribes and the Pharisees and In verses 27 and 28, he said unto them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And that provides a little bit more information and and definition for us. And it's, it's when you want others to think that you are something you are not. And you know you're not. And you're not even really trying to be that, (laughs) what what you want people to think. You're being deceptive. And that's really what hypocrisy is about. And I'll just tell you up front, God hates it. It's something he takes very seriously. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. That's something we're going to see in our text. And in fact, We're going to learn that God takes it so seriously that he strikes a couple dead for being hypocrites. Welcome to church. We we talk about the good things that happen at camp, and now we get to see God strike two people dead. But that's where we're at in in, in Scripture. But, But there are certainly some things that we need to learn about this sin so that God doesn't have to judge us on the issue. 1 Corinthians 11:31 in a very similar context by the way says for if we would judge ourselves we should not be judged. And so I want all of us to do just that to judge ourselves this morning as it relates to this sin, particularly the sin of hypocrisy. So if you've been around these past few weeks, you kind of know the story. Peter and John have been arrested and and threatened uh, to stop preaching about Jesus. But they're released from prison, they come back to church, to the church, they give a report, and, and the believers start praying, and the result of their prayer is that they're filled with the Holy Ghost, and they continue to obey God over man. They keep preaching in boldness, they're unified in that effort, in, and in all areas of life, Acts 4 said that they had all things common, even the sharing of possessions and money, so that no individual had need. We talked about that last week. And that, in Acts chapter 4 ends, it kind of culminates with a man named Barnabas, we'll continue to see throughout this book, as he sells some land, he lays the proceeds at the apostles' feet. It was, a, it was a remarkable case of generosity, so much so that it was recorded in Scripture. And we're still reading about it today. So it got everyone's attention, including a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. 
And so that's where we're going to pick up the story, Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was a space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. All right, well, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, uh, first of all, for the report from camp and all that you did there and the salvations and the kids that, that gave their life to you. Lord, we, we rejoice in that and, and um, want to continue to see growth in their life and help us as we uh, certainly will be a part of that in the future. And then, Lord, I pray that, that you use this message today in all of our hearts to, to redirect our focus back on you. And, and so, Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word, and I pray that this entire service, certainly this part of it, is glorifying to you. And, again, do what only you can do and, and, and allow your Holy Spirit uh, to work in the hearts of, of everyone here today. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think, as you can see, uh, after reading that passage, you, you, you see the shift that I was talking about here. You know, what, what we just read was a fair bit different than what we saw in the first four chapters because this event was something that happened in the church, in the group of believers that were following the apostles of Jesus. And that shift is seen very clearly in the very first word of chapter 5, Acts chapter 5 and verse 1 starts with the word but. You see, up to this point, Satan had really only attacked from the outside. But it hadn't worked. Hadn't stopped the mission. And so as he always does, he, he kept trying and he moved his, ta his attack to the inside. And the but in verse 1 shows a contrast between what was going on, particularly at the end of chapter 4, and, and what we see here at the beginning of chapter 5. And it was a Contrast about many things, but particularly a contrast between Barnabas and what he did with Ananias and Sapphira and what they did. And it's interesting because they both made a, a very similar gesture and gave a similar offering to the church. But while they were similar in some ways, they were very different in others. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be recognized like Barnabas. Barnabas had been called out, had been recognized. It was recorded in Scripture. And unfortunately, Ananias and Sapphira's story gets recorded in Scripture as well. But that, the, the problem with Ananias and Sapphira is they didn't have the same heart as Barnabas. They had a hidden problem in their hearts, and it was a problem of hypocrisy. And we don't see that that word used in, in these verses but we get a great example of what it looks like and what God thinks about it. 
And obviously he's not a fan. So for that reason, we need to clearly understand it so that we don't make the same mistake as Ananias and Sapphira in, in our life. And to understand it fully, there's a few things that we need to grasp with respect to this biblical concept. And first, we need to understand the offense of hypocrisy. We need to understand the offense of hypocrisy because what was it exactly that they did that upset God so much? I mean, on the surface, this might appear a little bit weird because they sold a piece of land for the mission. They seem, seemingly, they did a good thing, right? Look back at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so, so they kept back part of the price. They didn't give all of what they made like Barnabas did. But is that so wrong? Enough to invoke death? <laughs> I mean, if someone were to come to me today and say, hey, Troy, I sold a piece of property, and here are the proceeds. We want to give it to the church. I am not going to follow up and say, well, is this everything? <laughs> you say, are we getting all of it? Are you holding back something for yourself? I am not going to ask that, and I am not going to care. That is your business and your decision. What I am going to do is thank you. And praise the Lord for how he continues to bless us for the furtherance of the gospel. And listen, it wasn't even wrong for Ananias and Sapphira that they didn't give it all to the apostles. They didn't have to give anything. They did not have to sell the land. After accusing them of a great sin... Peter told Ananias that very thing. Look at verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? And listen to verse 4. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to do anything with it. And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You didn't have to give us the money, either in part or all. See, the amount is not the issue here. Here's the issue. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. That was the offense. It wasn't, the offense wasn't that they didn't give all their money. In fact, money wasn't the issue at all. God does not need anybody's money. The issue was a fundamental lack of honesty used as a cover-up. You see, it was a plan that they hatched, a conspiracy that they concocted in their hearts. In verse 2, it says that Ananias kept back part of the price and his wife was privy to it. That means it was a secret. They didn't tell anyone else. In fact, they were misleading to everyone else. After Ananias died and Sapphira came in, Peter asked her specifically if they were being honest about the amount. Look at verse 8. Peter said unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He's given her a chance. And she said, yea, for so much. And then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And this is what makes their sin a sin of hypocrisy. They wanted people to believe something about them that was not true. 
all the way to the point of lying and deceiving others about it. They were pretending to be something that they were not. And when we study hypocrisy in the Bible, first of all, we know it's a sin. That should be obvious, but just in case it's not, the Bible tells us it's a sin. Luke 12, 1 says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod upon one another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And if you study leaven in the Bible, you know that leaven is a very clear picture of sin. You see that laid out in Leviticus 14 and Leviticus 15. You can see that with individual verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 5. We read earlier Isaiah 32, 6 and Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. And in both of those references, hypocrisy is linked to iniquity. And iniquity is sin. This is an obvious point I'm making, but I'm, I'm making it. Because all too often, we forget very simple facts like that. You know, earlier I gave you the first, word, first mention of the word hypocrisy in Isaiah 32.6. Well, the first mention of the word hypocrite, or any form of the word for that matter, is found in Job 8.13. And it's in the context of forgetting about God. Job 8.13 says, so, all, so are the paths of all that forget God and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. And you see, this is right here. This fact is part of the problem of hypocrisy. We forget about what God thinks in the equation, and we instead focus on human logic. Because think about Ananias and Sapphira's sin again. Think about what they did. Who was harmed by their deception? I mean, obviously they were after the fact. But leading into this, who was harmed by their deception? Did their sin hurt anyone? I mean, they were giving money. They didn't give it all, but they were giving something for the sake of the mission. Did that hurt anybody? And, the, and when you think of it with human logic, the answer is no. Their sin didn't hurt anybody. But... The biblical answer is absolutely, it harmed and hurt and offended the holiness of God, as all sin does. And listen, it's just so easy to justify our sins by thinking with human logic, with the wrong mind, with, with, not, with not the mind of Christ. And so we think, well, yeah, I, mean, I, probably, I probably shouldn't be doing this. It's not all that bad. I mean, there's people doing a lot worse, and, and who's it really harming? But listen, that is just a justification using human, human logic that does not consider the Lord, and it boxes him out of the equation. And we are all really good at this. As Christians, we justify our actions and our sins without considering how they impact God and how they offend his holiness. And, I'm, and I mean that very specifically because every single one of our sins was laid upon Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins, not just our sin, singular, who bear our sins, plural, in his own body, on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And those stripes that he faced, 
He did it for our sins. Every single one of them was laid to his charge. So we should never lose sight of that. God is offended by our hypocrisy and our justifications for how it's not that bad. And, and here's how you can know. Here's a couple ways, not probably the only ways, but here are a couple main ways that you can know you're using human logic in a justification mode with any type of sin, not just hypocrisy, with any type of sin. Here's how you can know. This flawed thinking, it usually plays out in one of two ways with people. So the first, and I put these on your outline sheet, the first is isolation. The first way you justify yourself with human logic human logic is through isolation. And those people will just isolate themselves from other believers, ultimately because they're afraid they'll eventually be found out. And they may not admit it or even think in those terms. They, they may even have their spiritual reasons for isolating themselves. But listen very carefully. Isolation is not a biblical concept. Maybe there are some very unique exceptions where God, you know, calls a man to do something on his own or, or whatever. But, but those are exceptions. We talked at some length last week about the importance of assembling together. That's what God designed for believers because there's built-in accountability. There's, there's built-in exhortation. And he designed that well before the church. In fact, he designed it from the very beginning of man. We know this. After making Adam, God said in Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And we see the answer why, really. Uh, he needs a help meet, but in we see why in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. It's one of the main benefits of the church. We can help each other up, right? Because struggling is not hypocrisy. You know, that, that's what they were dealing with all week. The kids struggling about different things. It's okay. We can deal with struggling. We can grab your hand and help you up, but not if you isolate yourself. Not if you remove yourself from this place. You can't do that. Most of the time, isolating yourself is, 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 is the worst thing you can do. But unfortunately, we see it all the time. And people just drift off because they don't want to get, they want to do what they want to do and they don't want to get caught. But then second, and, and more applicable to our study on hypocrisy, people, here's what people do using human logic. So not only isolation, but, but here it's compartmentalization. And so this is what we see with people still in church and, and in ministry. They compartmentalize their life. And they think, well, yeah, I'm, I, I know I'm doing this over here, and I need to stop that. I need to get that under control. But that doesn't really affect my ministry for the Lord over here. I'm still doing a good thing. I'm, I'm still involved in ministry. I, I'm still leading a ministry. And my sin doesn't touch those areas of my life and, and, and doesn't touch my walk with the Lord. And that's just not true. That's just not true. It, it, it impacts every area of our life. You can't compartmentalize your sin in one area and, and say that that doesn't touch other areas of your life, it absolutely, absolutely does. And we know this from Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were doing a good thing by giving money. They were helping the ministry. But God viewed it very differently, didn't he? God said they were lying. And both isolation 
and compartmentalization are rooted in dishonesty and lying. And lying is the fuel for hypocrisy, and it's the main issue with a hypocrite. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times shall some depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrine of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And that's what happens to a hypocrite. They, they tell lies so long they, they start believing them themselves and their conscience is seared. And so hypocrites are liars and God hates it. He hates lying. The Bible says that explicitly. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and it goes from there. And so these are, these are hard words because we kind of skip over these verses. I mean, we know them, but we kind of don't do a lot with them. But it says these are the things the Lord hates. And it means, that means something to you or it doesn't. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But they that deal truly are his delight. Even if that truth is that you're struggling. Even if that truth is, man, I need another brother, I need another sister to come help me in this area of my life. If you're being truth, then that's a delight to the Lord, even if it's not great truth, but if lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But listen, when it comes to hypocrisy, it's not just a lie. It's a lie that is directed directly at the Lord. That's what Peter told Ananias in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? To keep back part of the price of the land whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. When you're doing this type of sin, you're lying to God. You're not even lying to man. And from a doctrinal perspective, there's some very interesting things in these verses. First of all, we see the deity of the Holy Ghost very clearly. In verse 3, he says, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost? And at the end of verse 4, he says, Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Holy Ghost and God are equated, right? So the Holy Ghost is God. But also, Peter's statement of Ananias lying to the Holy Ghost is, is partly why God reacted so harshly to the sin during this transition period of history in a time that was more kingdom-focused. And we're not going to take the time to go into this, but for you Bible study students, I'll give you some verses that you can just ponder and study on your own. But 1 John chapter 5 talks about a sin unto death. That's a tribulation context verse. Matthew 12 in a kingdom context outlines an unpardonable sin that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And let me just say, at least in this case, from a physical perspective, Ananias seemed to have blasphemed the Holy Ghost when he lied unto him. It was a sin unto physical death. Now, with respect to where Ananias and Sapphira are today, that's a different issue. The Holy Ghost had come in Acts chapter 2, and, and so it's a transition time, and, and things, are, things are moving, and things are different. But God was, and God was still working in a, a different agenda at that time. But, but back to our point, our lies and hypocrisy are absolutely an offense to God. So don't think of it using human logic regarding who it affects or who it hurts, because you can give 
you can convince yourself, depending on what the situation is, you can convince yourself that the answer is no one. But the true answer is God. You are lying to him and he's offended. And he's offended because the lies of hypocrisy come from a place in your heart that is diametrically opposed to God. And that is a place of pride. God absolutely hates that too. In fact, that was first on the list in Proverbs 6.16, a proud look. And this gets back to wanting to appear like something we are not. Wanting to appear spiritual when we are not. That was Ananias and Sapphira's problem. And this is a problem today for so many Christians. And I put this on your outline sheet. But for many Christians, it is far too easy to be happy with the image of spirituality rather than the reality of spirituality. It's far too happy to be, to be happy with the image versus the reality. That is, there's a golden calf in the church today. And it is just that. It is the image of spirituality in neglect of the reality. That is what many people care more about. They care more about how they look than how they are. And they want to appear like they've got it all together even when they don't. And that's because of pride. And this is absolutely our culture today. So when we are guilty of this lifestyle, we are just living like the world. Image versus reality. Listen, our culture is consumed with image. Social media is all about image. It's all about how we look. It actually has very little to do with reality. And our culture is all about pride. We are currently in a month, the month of June, where our culture celebrates the pride of something that is an absolute abomination to God. That, listen to me, is not the reality of how God made man and woman. It is an image. And it is an image that is satanic. And that brings us to the second aspect of hypocrisy that we need to understand, and that is the origin of hypocrisy. The origin of hypocrisy and the origin of Satan. That is why God hates it so much because he is the source of this sin as the original sin. And he was the source with Ananias and Sapphira. Look back at verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of that land? And that is such an interesting phrase. Satan has filled thine heart. And again, it contrasts with what we see in, or what we saw in, in Acts chapter 4. There the believers were filled with the Holy Ghost. Remember Acts 4.31? And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So you see this contrast in Acts chapter 4. The believers were filled with the Holy Ghost, and the result was him controlling their mouth. They spake the word of God. And in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were filled with Satan. And the result was the same, just the opposite. It was him controlling their mouth, and they spake lies. The opposite of truth, which is God's word. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you speak truth. Filled with Satan, you speak lies. 
And listen, we have to be careful because our hearts can be controlled by Satan as well. And you say, hey, I, don't, I didn't think believers could be possessed by the devil. Well, I didn't say that. I don't, I don't believe that either. And there's, a, there's an interesting phrasing that goes on here. But listen, there is absolutely no doubt that our hearts can be controlled and filled with satanic pride. And here's why I say that. I'm not talking demonic possession here in a believer. Because even with Judas, the filling of his heart by Satan and the entering in or the possession of Satan, those were two completely different events. His heart was filled in John 13 too. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. That was the filling of his heart. But then he didn't possess Judas until John 13, 27. And after the sop, Satan entered in a, into him. So those are two different events. Those are two different events, the filling and the entering in. You see, those are different events in different times. Just like the Holy Spirit taking up residence at the moment of salvation is a different event than the filling. Right? Those believers had already received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, and they're filled. We saw them filled later in Acts chapter 2. We see them filled in Acts chapter 4 a couple different times. And that's, that's based on how we walk in the Spirit and, and that sort of thing. So those, those are two different times and two different events. So we should never be so arrogant or ignorant to think we are immune to satanic influence over our heart. That, that's absolutely not true. We can absolutely, our heart can be filled with satanic pride. We're 100% susceptible to that, which is why Paul commands us to put on our spiritual armor, part of which protects our heart. Ephesians 6.11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then down in verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. And that breastplate protects our heart because our heart can be captured by the devil. That applies to all of us, myself included, in the context of qualifications of a bishop or a pastor in 1 Timothy 3.7. Paul says, moreover, he must be of a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And the snare is literally a noose. You're captured in a snare by him. And when we're captured in a snare, we, we quickly become hypocrites because our focus becomes on ourselves and our pride. And that plays out in lies that come out of our mouth. So it should come, it should be as no surprise that when we were controlled by Satan, we're going to speak lies and be rooted in pride. Because that's who he is. That's who he is. John 8, 44, ye are of your father the devil and the lust of your father he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And with respect to pride, we see that on full display in Satan's fall when he was still known as Lucifer in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, right? That's where it is. Satan filled their hearts. And that's where it starts. He said in their hearts, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And that's pride. You see, the combo of pride and lying, it's a bad thing, man. And that's why there's something really bad about the sin of hypocrisy that God takes very seriously. And it leads to death. 
And maybe not physical death with us like Ananias and Sapphira, although I wouldn't rule anything out. And if you're saved, your eternal life is absolutely secure. But you absolutely can be dead in the sense that you're of no use to God. You can grieve the Spirit of God so much in your life that you quench Him, right? 1 Timothy 4.2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having your conscience seared like a hot iron. And your conscience is seared that you don't even feel it. You don't even feel the conviction of sin. And so you don't respond to it. And, and, and the, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit is put out in you. And that's the picture we see with this couple. And again, everything we see here in the beginning of chapter 5 is contrasted by what happened earlier in Acts. We even see that with the very specific words used. Because in verse 1, Ananias is called a certain man. And we saw that same phrase in chapter 3 with the lame man. It was a certain, certain man that was lame from his birth. And so in chapter 3, the certain man went from death to life. But in chapter 5, the certain man went from life to death. Because that's where hypocrisy will take you. It will lead to death eventually or until you get it right. That's what sin does for the wages of sin is what? Death. James 1, verses 14 and 15, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That when lust hath conceived, it bring forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So don't take it lightly. Examine yourself and don't live the life of a hypocrite, prideful to the point of being dishonest and deceptive about who you are. It doesn't have to be that way. Because there was a lesson in this story for the early church, and there's a lesson for us today as well, and that brings us to the third and final aspect of hypocrisy that we need to understand, and that's the opportunity of hypocrisy. Because like I said, there was a message that God was sending to the early church in Jerusalem that day, and, and, they, got, and they got it. The question is whether or not we will get it. Look at verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And then down in verse 11, after, that was with Ananias, and then after Sapphira, same thing happened. Verse 11, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And you need to catch that progression. Verse 5, the fear came upon all those that heard of Ananias' death. But verse 11, it, it was all that heard, and he, and he specifically calls out the church. This is the second time the word church is used in the book of Acts. The first was at the end of Acts chapter 2, and we, we talked about that when we went through that chapter. But here we see that great fear came upon the church, and that's another contrast with, with Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, they received great power and great grace. Now it's great fear. But this isn't necessarily a bad thing because it was a healthy fear of the Lord and his holiness. And we need that. We need that in the church today as well because an appropriate fear of God drives growth and righteousness in the church. An appropriate fear of God drives growth and righteousness in a church and in an, even in an, in an individual. Next week we're going to see the, the result of this fear in great detail, but, but look at verse 12. Coming off this, you know, kind of crazy event of Ananias and Sapphira, immediately the church gets to work and God's glorified even more. Verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them, and the believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. 
You see, this great fear led to great growth, multitudes. And you see that throughout the book of Acts. God doing big things and it resulting in the right response from the church, which is fearing him. For example, Acts 9.31 says, And when then, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Great growth comes from walking in the fear of the Lord. And that's what the fear of the Lord should do. It should have a cleansing effect on a body, both individually and collectively. And that cleansing should, should lead to serving. See, there's nothing wrong with a healthy fear of God. That should certainly be the case with children and their parents, particularly their fathers. You see, fear of the Lord is, so, so it's good for children to have a healthy fear. Not, not, not an unwarranted fear. Not, and, and fathers and parents shouldn't place fear on them to where they're always scared of them. But, but uh, there's a healthy aspect to fear that kind of keeps us where we need to be. And, and, you know, the fear of the Lord is sometimes softened and just described as awe and reverence. And that's absolutely part of it, but that's not all. It's an incomplete view of biblical fear of God. You need to be keenly aware that he is just and he brings judgment. Now, it's perfect and holy judgment, unlike our parenting, but it's also a little bit scary. Judgment seat of Christ is described as the terror of the Lord. Listen, God always wants what's best for us, and he is in our corner, so to speak, and he loves us in a way that we can't yet fully understand, but make no mistake about it, he's true to his word. And he hates sin, and he hates hypocrisy, and he warns us against it. So if we ignore those warnings, we have something to be scared of, that's for sure. So don't do that. Don't settle for that. Instead of living a life of sin, why don't you use that fear to drive you to a place of holiness? Use it as an opportunity to get your life to a place of being used by God in a mighty way because it absolutely can happen if you just respond correctly. You know, one of the amazing things to me is how, how people in the church you know, fall into crazy sin all the time. Even after seeing it happen and seeing the consequences fall out in someone else's life. And I don't say that arrogantly. I say it with great caution because I know I'm certainly not better than anyone else. And it could happen to me if I'm not careful, if I'm not on guard. But folks watch it happen all the time and somehow think it's not going to happen to them. They keep up the charade and the hypocrisy instead of just getting it right. And so they're more afraid of getting caught by others than they are answering to God. The greatest fear isn't the sin. The greatest fear is getting caught. And listen, in a crowd this size, there is no doubt that some of you are living the life that I'm describing. And you're pretending to be something that you're not. And you fear getting caught more than you fear the Lord. And so you won't stop. And for those of you that this applies to, I just want to give you a loving warning and encourage you to get right before you get caught. Because the chances are you will get caught. I mean, in this story, how did Peter find out that Ananias and Sapphira were lying about how much they sold the land for? 
I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but God got them the information supernaturally. God got them the information, and Jennifer and I have told our kids that for their entire life. You can ask any of them. We trust them. We allow them to make you know, many of their own decisions. Obviously, we have a couple adult ones that make their own decisions, but, but raising them. We always warn them that if they did something they shouldn't do, God would get us the information we needed. And if he doesn't get us the info, then we don't need to know it. And we believe that wholeheartedly. And we parent it that way because it's a biblical principle. It's one of the lessons from this passage in Acts chapter 5, and it's what the Bible says. Numbers 32, 23 says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. The truth is you cannot hide your sin. Even you think you're hiding your sin, but you're not hiding your sin anyway because if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit's there. And the Holy Spirit has a way of bringing things to light that need to be brought to light. And again, I, I promise you, I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that arrogantly. I say that lovingly, and I say that in the fear of the Lord, in fear and trembling. But listen, I say it because maybe today is your opportunity to quit living a lie. Maybe today is a day you get things right and start living for the Lord. Now, I don't know what God has shown you, if anything, today. But if he's shown you something, you should take heed. Because hypocrisy is an offense to God. And it's fueled by lies and rooted in pride, and that's because the origin is satanic. So it's nothing to take lightly. Instead, take the opportunity God is giving you now to get right with him. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And again, as you're just settling your hearts, I do encourage you, man, if, if you have anything to get right with the Lord today, you should do it. Why wait? Don't, don't wait another day because God will be true to his word. And at some point, the lie will end, whether it's here on this earth or in the earth to come. So don't wait for then. Get it right now.